there, everybody, and welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream for January 31st, 2022. I'm Aaron Schatz, the editor-in-chief of Football Outsiders, joined, as always, on Mondays by Ian O'Connor from Edge Sports, and we are going to go through NFL Championship Sunday. want to thank everybody who's watching us right now on YouTube or Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, please Bring on your comments in the chat, and if you're on YouTube or Twitch, please like and subscribe to the show. Same thing if you are listening after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. Uh, Don't forget about the FO Plus on sale for 99 cents a week for annual subscriptions. I know we've had that offer for a while, but it is coming to an end soon, so you want to make sure you get all of our stats, uh, DVOA splits, analysis, Fantasy information, betting information, 99 cents a week. Go to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe or click on the link you'll find in the description of this show. All right. So the conference championships, um, two close games, but I think the one that was the craziest and the most exhausting was the Chiefs and the Bengals. I came away from it saying it was a lot like 2014 to me when the Seahawks had that insane comeback against the Packers and I like could not pay attention to the next game for an hour mm-hmm. because I was hung over from the comeback. And I felt <laughs> the same way about this one. Like I was so hung over from Cincinnati's comeback that, um, that I like had a hard time paying attention to the beginning of the San Francisco Los Angeles game. Uh, Cincinnati obviously trailed 21 10 at the half, but Uh, We have to talk about Andy Reid with the decision to go for it at the end of the first half because I don't blame Reid for going for one last pass because Mahomes is supposed to be smart enough to know you've got to throw that thing into the end zone within three seconds. Yeah, just like on the first play. Um, and to, you know, it comes down to it. If it, if I've seen some people talking about even with five seconds, looking at going for it versus the field goal, those were essentially equal options. Yeah. First and goal from the one nine seconds left after the pass interference, Kansas city's win probability was at 96.8. If they had scored a touchdown, they would go up to 97.5, taking an 18 point lead into half. If they had made even a field goal, they would have been at 95.4% win probability with a 14 point lead going into the half. The way it played out, obviously, they got no points off of it. They had enough time to run a couple plays. I don't know. It, it kind of seems to me that Reed, Bienemy, and Mahomes maybe just trusted that that Tyreek Hill, though it didn't seem like he was the first option, trusted no, I don't that he think was going to be able to. option. I think Mahomes just had a brain fart and said, oh, well, yeah. there's Tyreek Hill. Let's see if he can. And he didn't think like, oh, this has to go into the end zone in three seconds or I throw it away. Yeah, and even then having, you know, having Tyreek Hill out there as an option, maybe thinking – He's going to get it. He's going to be able to make someone miss from two yards out and get in. But it didn't work out. It had no timeouts. They got the ball after the half. Uh, but not by not scoring at all, they dropped to 92.7%. So the, in those nine seconds, Cincinnati went from 3.2 to 7.3, more than doubling their chance to win. It's not a huge amount um, in that, you know, um, ex- or, uh, absolute values. Uh, but relatively to double your win probability on a couple plays where it looks like the Chiefs were going to get a touchdown pretty easily in a couple plays and get up to 18 points was just huge. And it, what you can't say those three points would have won in the game because we don't know how the game would have played out. But those pretty much guaranteed three points from a 19-yard field goal would have gone a long way to getting the Chiefs uh, to a third straight Super Bowl, uh, potentially. 
Yeah, and I mean, let's be honest. Like, even without scoring, the win probability was at 92.7%. So... Um, Just a meltdown in the second half. It, yeah, right. I mean, the Chiefs were still really, really, really strong, um, really, really strong favorites to win the game. Uh, Fr Flynn Haggerty asks, where does this stand in terms of championship upsets relative to things like the Patriots against the Dolphins in 85 or the Chargers and Steelers in 94, etc.? I don't know where this stands it's see the problem is so this upset seems greater because of how it happened. Mm -hmm. The upset seems greater because one, we all just assumed that Kansas city was better than their numbers. That's how we thought about Kansas city for the last two years, right? Everybody has just assumed that Kansas city can turn it on and off at will. But the other thing is it feels like a much bigger upset because of the way the Bengals came back. The upset doesn't feel like the Bengals won in overtime. The upset feels like the Bengals came back from 21 to three, right? So it's not like, so in that terms of like, what's the greatest comeback combined with upset? I mean, the Bengals coming back on a better Chiefs team down 21 to three on the road is more impressive than the Colts coming back on an equal Patriots team down 21 to three at home in 2006. But, you know, the, the, the Chiefs finished the season like seventh or something in DVOA. So, you know, we think about them as better than they really were this season, given that slump they had early in the year. Um, if I think if you look just at full season DVOA numbers, this would not be the biggest championship upset ever. It's kind of crazy too because the, the the Bengals did it twice to the Chiefs this year at, at home in Week 17. They were yep. down what 11 or 14, uh, came back in the second half and won that one, and then to do it again on the road in the AFC Championship, just to your point, just the way it happened just seems um, absolutely deflating for for Chiefs fans. So the Bengals go into the locker room, make adjustments, come out in the second half. All of a sudden, they're only rushing three and dropping eight into coverage. And all of a sudden, Patrick Mahomes is horrifically bad. Like the first down, second down splits for Mahomes are insane. Uh, no matter what stat you look at, uh, just how incredibly different it was for him in the second half compared to the first half. Um, the game was tied at 21 going into the fourth quarter. So now we bring up the most impactful plays of the week because there were uh, huge impactful plays. And uh, True Max says the Bengals seem to have so much momentum behind them too. If you're talking about game-to-game -game momentum, I don't see any reason to believe the Bengals have more momentum behind them than the Rams. Like the Bengals have won three straight games. The Rams have also won three straight games. So. Right. Like, you know, when you go into the Super Bowl, the, the two teams kind of have an equal amount of momentum behind them as far as their recent performances. Yeah, the um, way that kind of I would look at it too is some of these situations. I don't know if it would really fit in momentum, but kind of that's nothing to lose mindset where, you know, the Rams were expected to be here at least more often than the yeah, Bengals. The, the Bengals do expectations. have nothing to lose, whereas the Rams, right, this is the all in year where they were expected yeah. to win the Super Bowl. That's true. Um so the fourth most impactful play of the week is Joe Burrow's interception early in the fourth quarter. Yep. And where it was first and 10 on the Cincinnati 34. 
Yeah, this one was huge. And you mentioned two close games. This one seemed to be a lot closer and more exciting. And it was four out of the five most impactful plays come from this game. And it was that early fourth quarter interception. They had just gotten the ball. I think they had forced a, a punt uh, from the Chiefs. Maybe they had sacked Mahomes before that. And you mentioned you know, all the pressure I got on him. It, not as much, but it seemed kind of similar to last year in the Super Bowl, where it seemed like he was scrambling on every play, just trying to get away and trying to to make something happen, but having someone you know in his face the whole time. But the 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 Bengals or the sorry the Chiefs defense was able to come up big here with interception right near midfield tie game at seventeen point seven percent in win probability there for the the Chiefs, and it looked like at this was the point that they were going to go down, they were going to score, and they were going to win the game. But no, because Mahomes had to play like garbage in the entire second half. <laughs> so the Chiefs couldn't capitalize. And then Evan McPherson comes back on the next Bengals possession. They go down the field, field goal range, kicks the field goal, 24-21 Bengals lead. So now Mahomes has the ball, final moments of regulation. You're thinking to yourself, this is Patrick Mahomes. They were clearly slowing down the clock in order to try to make sure the Bengals did not get the ball back. You're thinking Mahomes will go down. He'll score a touchdown in the last minute. The Bengals will not be able to come back. The Chiefs will win the game. Uh, the fifth most impactful play takes place then on that drive that put them into first and goal, Travis Kelsey. Yep, third and two at the seven, a minute 38 left. Again, you're thinking this is going to be it right here. The Chiefs will have three timeouts. The Bengals do still have two timeouts here. And this gets into the – a lot of people are talking about the should they let them score – Turns out it really wasn't a huge difference. It played off better to, for the way it played out. Um, only about a percentage difference, I think, when we looked at it yesterday. But this one, it hits him for the first down, gets down to first and goal. They're up to like 74% win probability. You just assume first and goal at the five, a minute and a half left, minute 20, whatever it was after this play, that there's no way the Chiefs aren't going to get in the end zone in three plays. But they don't. So that the, the first down gets them 15% win probability. But then a few plays later, they've got third and goal at the nine, only 39 seconds left. And Mahomes takes a, just a bad sack, 17 yards back, fumbles. Yeah. This almost took them pretty much down to 0% because he fumbled and got lucky. I think it was Joe Tooney that, that recovered it. Right. If, he, if the Bengals recover that fumble, the game is over. Yeah. And so they get the ball back, but it makes it instead of a 27-yard field goal, it makes it a 44-45 yard field goal. So that play, that sack cost them 19.6%. Uh, but they were able to get the the field goal to to force overtime after that. And so they win the toss, and everyone online is like, here we go. The Chiefs are going to win with the first drive in overtime, and then we're going to spend the next week arguing about overtime rules some more. But no, Mahomes was garbage in the second half of that game, yeah. and he was in overtime as well, and that's where you get our number one most impactful play of the weekend. Yeah, for just five set already been two plays run, but only five seconds off the clock. 14.55, third and 10 at their own 25. Mahomes throws it up to, I think it was Tyreek Hill who got his hands on it. I forget who the defender was that, Von that got Bell, his hand on it. Uh, Jesse Bates, I think, tipped it. Jesse Bates. Von Bell. That's right. Von Bell got the interception. I thought the ball just hit the ground watching it and then look up and there. Von Bell's running around with it. But uh, interception, obviously very huge. Gets this, the Bengals up, have the ball at near midfield at their own 45. A 24% decrease in win probability, obviously the turning point of the game. And Cincinnati goes down. It looked like I thought Mixon was going to get into on that run, cut back and just got tripped up. There was a guy that may have gotten him coming kind of from behind. It had a good angle, but sets him up at that point at the 12-yard line. And I don't think any Bengals fan 
thought they weren't going to win it with McPherson the way he's been this season now. I think 11 for 11, which is the, the most field goals made without a miss in uh, playoff history. So he's been awesome as a rookie, too. You've got him as a rookie, Jamar Chase as a rookie, Joe Burrow in his second year after the injury last year. A lot of young guys on that team, and it's kind of interesting looking at that. They were talking, I think it was Good Morning Football this morning, saying how you know this team, the Bengals, have have just kind of been, don't want to say losers, but a losing franchise for so long. And then you've got these guys coming in from winning college programs that kind of turning it around in the way Joe Burrow is. Um, but yeah, with the rookie kicker, I don't think there was any any thought in Bengals fans' mind they were going to lose once they got, got uh, down inside the 20. I mean, I saw someone say, you know, maybe the Bengals winning teaches people, teaches teams you don't have to have as many scouts because like the Bengals historically have always had a very small scouting staff. I don't think one team winning teaches you that. I think that it's better to, you know, more scouts is better. There's no salary cap on scouts. I still don't think the Bengals are a well-run franchise, but they hit a home run with drafting Burrow and with drafting Chase and with signing Hendrickson and with a number of other moves that they made. Uh, and they've gotten luck. I mean, you know, listen, these are three close wins and particular the last two, uh, you know, the Raiders one, they, they had pretty much the whole time, but yep. um, as far as true Turkman 24 asking about the run where Joe Mixon wasn't touched at the end and gave up the ball. I don't see if Andy Reed wants to challenge that. I don't see how you can decide from, the uh video whether or not joe mixon gave himself up like i don't think that that can be overturned to say that joe mixon had not given himself up and therefore fumbled the ball if the refs on the field decided that joe mixon had given himself up and therefore had not fumbled the ball you can't overturn that on replay and if they do there <laughs> that's going to be a whole other conversation that people would lose their minds over on that mm-hmm. So the Bengals are going to the Super Bowl, and uh, of course, it's interesting. We were talking a little bit before we came on the air. So the Bengals are 17th in DVOA for the season. Uh, they will be the third lowest team in DVOA to make a Super Bowl, and if they win the Super Bowl, they will become the lowest team in DVOA to win a Super Bowl with an asterisk that the reason why is because of Week 18 – where they sat their starters. If if they don't see if you don't count week 18, then the 2007 Giants are the lowest team to ever win a Super Bowl, not not the Bengals. But what's interesting is we took a lot of crap this year from Packers fans and Titans fans about how low they were rated by DVOA. I don't remember ever getting angry tweets or emails from Bengals fans. I don't think Bengals fans went through this whole year thinking, oh, we're really one of the top two teams in the league. Like, how dare your numbers have us so low? Like, I think they kind of understand that they're playing with house money here. Yeah, and I think part of it, too, with the Titans, you know, they were in first place in their division pretty much with the whole season. They got the the big wins early in the year that were close. That really, as we know, like can go either way when you've got those close wins. Same with the Packers. There was really no – no shot of them losing the division, it seemed, whereas the Bengals, you know, had their ups and downs. We mentioned, too, the loss to the Jets where they kind of got screwed at the end with a bad bad call um, on an unsportsmanlike or a helmet-to-helmet, whatever it was. But still, that game was close against the Jets. And then I think it was the very next week getting blown out by the Browns. To your point, the expectations just kind of weren't there, and they were just kind of thinking, you know, we've had some good wins, but I think they could still kind of see the flaws. You know, their offensive line isn't great, and they 
you know, kind of knew these things, whereas Titans and, and Packers fans, you know, knew what they had the way they've been in the last couple of years too, as good as they were thinking, you know, we should be much higher than this, uh, despite what the, what the numbers say, just based on the wins and losses, which obviously uh, DVOA doesn't account for wins and losses, right? Just the, how they play on the field. Right. And um, I'll also point out that if you look at weighted DVOA, including the playoffs, they are number seven, the seventh lowest team entering the Super Bowl. So uh, they're not as low if you incorporate their playoff games and you give more weight to the second half of the season. And that's, again, including week 18 when they sat their starters, they're even higher than that if, 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 if you um, don't you include week 18 when they sat their starters. But I will note that of the other nine, so there's 10 teams in history that have had a weighted DVOA under 20% entering the Super Bowl. And seven of those teams lost the Super Bowl. The only ones that won were the 1987 Washington Redskins and the 2011 New York Giants. The Giants don't surprise me. We shall see what happens. Let's talk about the other games, San Francisco and the Rams. Uh, The Rams looking to follow the Buccaneers as the second straight host team to host in their own stadium. And what we have here are two coaches who are often talked about as being young geniuses, young offensive geniuses, but on this show are often talked about for their surprisingly conservative decision-making. And that played a factor in this game because let's talk about the best decision of the week first, and then we'll get to the worst decision of the week. Yeah, so we've just usually have a top three or top five here. Just have one for each of these. The best one Comes from Sean McVay, fourth and one at the San Francisco 43. They're down 10-7, I think, at this point. Decides to go for it. I think it was fourth and less than one. Really a no-brainer. I think I'd seen that Stafford was like 14 for 14 on QB sneaks or fourth and one QB sneaks or something in his his career or um, something along those lines. They didn't get this one, but it was still the right call to go for it. It was a 5% increase in pre-snap win probability. As you pointed out on Twitter last night, Aaron, the following decision to challenge it, was, it was not a the terrible best decision? decision because there was absolutely <laughs> no evidence on the yeah. video that the spot was wrong. And spot challenges are usually horrible. And it was mm-hmm. their last challenge, and their I believe their last timeout. No, no, this I think this was their their first timeout. It was oh, their okay. second. They challenge, had another so. timeout later, I think that they or this yeah their first challenge their first timeout. The uh, the last timeout comes later on our worst decision. I guess we can skip right right to that because McVeigh had the best fourth down decision. Shanahan had the worst. And this one is a really interesting scenario that we talked about on our podcast earlier with Scott Brown here at edge sports. And I'll I'll add, by the way, this Shanahan decision we're about to discuss, you really see how far along the conversation has come about this game, about the fourth downs. Like Twitter was very strongly in favor of a go. Maybe that's just the people who I follow, but Shanahan was drilled about this decision after the game by the media. Oh, I did not see that because it's two two times in what three weeks now too that that he's done this. This one wasn't as big as the last one, um, but it's a great picture we were able to get here for for the the worst decision too of Shanahan walking off. But yeah, this is where fourth the fourth quarter, ten minutes left, fourth and two at the Rams forty five. They're up three, 
and he decides not to go for it. So they're stopped short. He sends out the punt team. This is where McVeigh uses his second challenge and his last timeout. So not only does he lose the challenge, he loses his timeout. You've got 10 minutes left in a close game in the NFC Championship, and you have no timeouts left, and you're losing. Those timeouts you're probably going to need later. So at this point in the game, when we run it through the model, it's not a huge difference between having one and timeout left and no timeouts. But where it would come into effect is if we get late in the game, that's when we can look back and say, okay, if he had this timeout. Um, yeah, he thought there was a fumble, I guess. He thought yes. there was a fumble on the play, but there was no evidence at all that there was a fumble. Like, it was clear from the video that the elbow was down. And so we now were thinking, oh, Shanahan has changed his mind. He's going to go for it here. And we're like, oh, my God, McVeigh not only blew his last timeout, blew his last challenge, but he's gotten Shanahan to rethink this and make the right move. What a horrible decision by McVeigh. And then Shanahan has Garoppolo pull that nonsense where you try to get the other yep. team to jump off sides. It takes the delay of game and punts anyway. Yeah, and like Scott was saying earlier with me that, could have turned out to be like potentially one of the worst challenges of all time if Shanahan had gone for it and gotten the first down. But either when you look at it too, the challenge, even if you win the challenge, you know, you've got the ball at your own 45. If you don't, you know, he's going to punt. It's a difference of 35, 40 yards. Like it seems like a lot, but it's not worth the challenge and the timeout, especially in a close game. So it ends up being a 5.1% error by Shanahan to punt. Looking at it based on the risk reward, they only need to convert this about 44% of the time. Uh, it'd be expected to convert even an average team around 56. So not as overwhelmingly in favor of the go as that fourth and one was against Dallas, where it was a 17%er with a minute and a half left, a minute 50. But still, the optimal decision was to go for it uh, in this situation. And he failed again like he has done pretty much all. So just a really, I call it kind of a weak move last night. And that's essentially what it was. And good to know that he was drilled for the decision afterwards because it seems like a lot of times you know, this one wasn't as late in the game, so it maybe didn't directly contribute to a loss. Um, obviously, it factored into the loss as the Rams would get a field goal, force a punt, and get another field goal to win it. But just a really bad decision from Shanahan that we see pretty much all the time. And then really bad time management and timeout management and challenge management from McVay on the other side. So really, both of them looked like we're just trying to give it away. Joey Sucks asks if, Ian, have you folks looked into assigning a quantitative value to timeouts in a one-score game? I am not sure. I think a few years ago we had looked, started to look into it. Um, that would be uh, something I would have to ask some of the, the data scientists here and Frank Frio, our co-founder. But we have looked at doing We've done some different timeout studies for different teams. Um off the top of my head, don't know if we have a value for it in a, in a situation like that. I know that studies that I've seen say that in the second half of the game, the a timeout is more worth more than five yards. That like you should not take a timeout to avoid a delay of game in the second half of the game because it's worth more than the five yards that you would lose on the delay of game. And that's exactly what McVeigh did too for his second timeout. They had I think first and ten, like the forty-five or the forty, time winding down takes the take, calls a timeout on the next play, they get 20 yards. You obviously can't predict you're going to get that, but they would have gotten the first down anyway uh, and chooses, especially in that situation, to use your second timeout to leave yourself one timeout for the fourth quarter in a one score, a close game like that it was just unbelievable. So then we get to the impactful plays, and obviously the biggest play from this game is the Jimmy Garoppolo interception at the end of the game when the 49ers are driving to try to tie it or take the lead. 
Yeah, just trying to make something happen, but kind of that signature really bad Garoppolo thrower decision that it seems like you have almost every game. And this one, taking the sack, you know, is awful, but it's better because they still would keep the ball. Um, it would have been like a fourth and 23, 24, whatever. It's third and 13 at this point at their own 22. But it cost them 21%, all 21% that they had, so dropped them from 21 to zero. The second worst behind only the Mahomes interception. And it it kind of brings up even more the – the conversation I already saw being thrown around yesterday, like, hey, if the 49ers win the Super Bowl, does Jimmy Garoppolo stay around as the quarterback since they've drafted Trevor Lance to be that guy? And there's, it seems to me, I said this earlier too this morning, that Garoppolo is kind of in the same class to me as like a Derek Carr where he's one of the most polarizing quarterbacks in the league where you've got people that either say like, yeah, he's our guy, or I saw someone in the comments earlier saying it's time to move on. It's like, no, he can't. He can't win them a Super Bowl. So it'll be interesting to see now that they've lost this and that it ended kind of on that play. What happens from here with Garoppolo in San Francisco? I don't think that he could not win them a Super Bowl, but they did draft Lance to replace him and he will leave. <laughs> yep. And there are teams that need quarterbacks. True Max says maybe Pittsburgh, maybe Pittsburgh, maybe Washington, maybe Denver, uh, maybe New Orleans. Uh, there are definitely teams that need quarterbacks. So, yes, Garoppolo yep. is – they drafted Trey Lance for a reason. They gave him a year to learn. Trey Lance is the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers next year. I think with Garoppolo, too, it's, it's – it, I guess you could say it's with any quarterback, but it needs to be a team that has a lot of talent around him already where he doesn't have to be the star, you know, like a Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay or something like that. Um, but – I guess we'll see. Like he's he's done enough. Obviously, he got them to this year, helped get them to the Super Bowl one year. He helped get them here this year, just come up short both times. Yeah. All right. Uh, don't forget that Ian will have updated coach rankings coming on Wednesday with Katie George talking about uh, upcoming Super Bowl matchup and updating coaching vacancies. Mm -hmm. um, we wanted to at least acknowledge on the show the Tom Brady retirement that is maybe not happening. I mean, that's the thing is like, we don't know whether we want to um, acknowledge it because I don't know whether it's happening or not. Um, but we, we talked about it. We were like, what are we going to say? Like Tom Brady is awesome and had an amazing yep. career. Like there's nothing much to add to it beyond that. I think on Saturday afternoon, we all just tried to one up each other, posting whatever stats we had about how amazing Tom Brady's career was. Uh, but we all know that already. So there you go. Yeah. For me, it's more not really even like stats based of a kind of, for me, the first thing I kind of thought of was like unofficially the end of my childhood, if you will. Cause I coming up, you know, 2000, I w was when he came in the league, I was eight years old is when I was first kind of starting to watch the games that I remember um, was basically mm -hmm. Tom Brady on. So it's one of those things kind of seeing that is, um, you know, it's been a lot, it's been a long childhood as he's been in the league for what 22 years, but it seems like it's yeah. kind of the end, end of an era, if you will, too. It marks that I'm an old man because Tom Brady was the last player who predated football outsiders. Wow. So that, uh, with Tom Brady, if Tom Brady does retire, then there will be no players who were introduced to the NFL before football outsiders existed. So. And two, you mentioned like it may or may not be happening. It's kind of funny. You know, ESPN came out that they're standing by. I think it was Schefter. And standing by. And it's, it's just like it can just kind of thinking of, 
you know, when it came out and then people were like, oh no, and ESPN, whatever, getting Schefter and Darwin's going to be like, are you all sure? Like, where'd you get this? Like, all right, we're sticking with you. Somebody leaked it. I think Brady did not want it leaked and somebody leaked it. And then he had to be like, he had to somehow put the genie back in the bottle, but it's not going back in the bottle because as Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk has pointed out, if Brady changes his mind and comes back next year, the entire year becomes Tom Brady's farewell tour, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what he said he doesn't want to do. Yep. I would have liked to see him back next year. Nobody's going to assume he's playing on more than one more year. And the whole year just becomes all about him. And doesn't want to do it. I would have liked to see him make it to 45. Like he originally said to play till he's 45. And then what recently said till 50, but it kind of, I mentioned this to you, Aaron, before the the show, but kind of makes you wonder now with someone uh, with like Aaron Rodgers, does that make him more inclined to stay with Green Bay? I hope so, as a Packers fan. But with Tom, does it really seem to open things up in the NFC? Most of the young, you know, good young quarterbacks are in the AFC, yeah. and it certainly does, you know, take a it takes a big contender out of the NFC because that leaves, uh, unless they add themselves another quarterback, that leaves Blaine Gabbert, who Bruce Arians claims is the most underrated player in the league. Okay. I don't believe that to be true. <laughs> we'll see. Him that leaves Blaine Gabbert as the starting quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, in those situations too, it kind of I guess kind of sucks because you're you know had a good season. It's not like you have a high pick to replace him either. You either have to to trade or acquire someone or trade up for a pick. Um, and not really being a, a deep quarterback draft this year, it's going to be maybe they'll. Uh, They'll, they'll and find as, a way to get somebody. as I noted on the show last week, not not when you were on, but on a later one, later part of the week, Kyle Trask, hated by Derek Klassen, our our college scout, Derek Klassen, hated with the strength of a million sons, uh, thinks he's a horrible prospect. Yeah. So uh, we do not believe that Kyle Trask is the future of the Tampa Bay yeah. Buccaneers. All right, folks. Uh, Super Bowl, there'll be a lot of Super Bowl previewing coming up. Check out Splash Play today at 2.30 for some Super Bowl previewing. And then check out our show. We're not going to be doing Wednesday, but we will be on Thursday with an Ask Us Anything show and some Super Bowl previewing. And then next Monday and Thursday with more Super Bowl previewing. So 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Thursday and next Monday, Splash Play, 2.30 Eastern Time, Monday, Thursday, and Friday. Ian, thank you as always for joining me. We've got one more Monday, one more game left. Two weeks from now. Everybody, thank you so much for watching the show, listening to the show. Please don't forget to like and subscribe to the show and come back on Thursday where we'll start previewing the Super Bowl and we'll talk some coaching carousel and stuff. And otherwise, enjoy your week, and I will talk to you all on Thursday afternoon. So long.